Hey, this morning, uh, we're continuing uh, in our sermon series called The Exodus. And as you know, Exodus is more than a book in the Old Testament. It's an event. It's an event that helps describe and helps really provide a developmental construct for God's people. God's people are always in the process of coming out of bondage, coming out of addiction, coming out of previous life, previous mindset, previous patterns into the fullness that Christ offers us. How many of you know this morning there is a difference between getting free and staying free? I think a lot of times in church, people get breakthrough at the altar, but they never marry it to follow through in their life. And so they have this dangerous cycle of always getting free, but never staying free. And so when we think about the Exodus in the context of some of the passages that we'll share together this morning, I want you to think about it in kind of that binary, that we have both options available to us as believers. Not only are we set free by the Spirit of God, but we are made to continue to walk in that freedom as spirit-filled believers. And so the Spirit of God resides inside of me, not just for moments of breakthrough, but for daily developmental freedom that comes from Christ alone. And there is no freedom like the freedom that comes from Jesus. There just isn't. And for us, when we experience that freedom, when we experience the presence of God made manifest, even in our Sunday morning services, it is my hope that once you taste and see that the Lord is good, it creates an insatiable appetite inside of you never to return to just dry, dead, religious behavior modification, but instead to drink deep of the river of God that's flowing here in the Northwest. I don't know if you know this, but what we're doing is not normal. And it's not because we're special, it's because Jesus is special. And what he offers people in this environment is an opportunity to be developed into a lifelong pursuit of who he is by which they enjoy freedom and healing and resource and development and maturity. Like scripture says, you have everything that you need pertaining to life and to godliness. In fact, every good and perfect gift come from the Father above, the Father of lights. In him, there is no shadow of turning. And so we know that we are in the right place at the right time in the right season. We're worshiping the right God. It doesn't mean the road is easy. For even Jesus tells his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And can I tell you when you notice trouble or friction around you, oftentimes it serves as a witness that you're pointed in the right direction. And so for us, as we are a part of Christian community, as we are continuing to engage with the work of God here, both locally and regionally, and even around the world, we notice that sometimes it kicks up a little friction, it it, it kicks up a little resistance, but that serves as a witness that we're pointed in the right direction. And friend, you were made for that. In fact, one of the ways that we grow as believers is through the construct of conflict or the construct of friction even in our own spiritual lives. And so what we don't want to do is we don't just want to sit in a Sunday morning service and be pastored to death, but instead we want to be in living water environments where we are prophesied to life. And so I'm telling you here today that you're going to get a little bit of both. You're going to get a pastoral side. You're going to get a little teaching side. You're going to get a little prophetic side. And the hope is that you would leave here today better than when you came in. You know that you can be committed to church and not committed to Christ. But you can't be committed to Christ and not be committed to church. For the church is his bride. And those aren't 
my words, those are his. And the words of the apostle Paul as he describes the mystery of what it looks like to find ourselves ingratiated to the kingdom of God that is advancing all around us. The kingdom of God is advancing. The only question that we have to answer is are we advancing with it? The kingdom of God is breaking out all across this region. And I really sincerely believe that we live in a time where we are scratching the surface of another great awakening here in our nation. And it wouldn't surprise me if it's going to start in the Northwest. There is something stirring in the soil. There is something stirring in the water. I feel it when I walk this city. I feel it when I drive around this region. What I am hearing is the voice of God saying, you haven't seen nothing yet. And so we are attaching ourselves to the increase of God's kingdom. Why? Because to the increase of his kingdom, there is no end. And some of us feel like we've graduated in our spiritual life. Like we don't need encouragement anymore. We don't need discipleship anymore. We don't need spiritual truth anymore because I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, returned the t-shirt, bought it again. I've done everything that there is to be done. But friend, there's more for you and there's more for us as a community. And if good little soft Sunday morning services could have saved America, we'd done didn't already be saved. And yet we're not, which tells me there is something more. And so we love Sundays and we stir people to be a part of community, not just as a consumer, but as a contributor. But I'm here to tell you today, friend, there is something more for you in your life. And your best days are not behind you. They're ahead of you. Yeah, you know, this week, uh, I, 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 it, was, it was on a Monday. I was uh, sitting uh, in, in my office. And all of a sudden, my phone began to just blow up and just ring off the hook and different notifications and comments and emails and text messages and also sorts of things. And, I, and, and anytime that happens, I think one of two things, like either the church is on fire uh, or um, something of breaking news happened and I missed it and people are just letting me know. And so I picked up my phone and I saw all these notifications and it was because one of the largest national atheist blogs picked up our COVID video and sent it out to all of their members saying, how stupid and crazy and wild is this church in this little town of Snohomish? And I just thought to myself, oh boy, here we go. (laughs) It gets me going in the morning. It just makes life a little fun. But I started to think in my office, it's just interesting to me how much time people who don't believe in God dedicate to talking about God. It'd be like if I ran an anti-Santa Claus blog and just talked about it day in and day out. Well, I don't believe in it, but I'm really mad about it, so let me dedicate a large portion of my life to talking about it. And what I discovered is that there are very, very, very few true atheists in our world today, but there's a lot of wounded Christians. There's a lot of wounded, backslidden prodigals who've been hurt by church, hurt by a pastor, hurt by a parent, hurt by another Christian, who have now decided that they have some sort of antithetical position towards Christ because of woundedness they've received in community. And it just reminded me how important it is to be a part of a lifelong process by which you can process your pain with God, get healing, and move on. And sometimes people stay stuck in their pain. And when they stay stuck in their pain, they inevitably build an idol to what hurt them. 
And when you build an idol to what hurts you, it cannot see, it cannot hear, and you become like the things that you worship. And all of a sudden, people can't see, they can't hear, they don't know God, they don't know other believers, and they develop all these positions and uh, anger and animosity towards the things of God. But as I was sitting in my office, I kind of got this image in my head, and, and, and uh, for a moment this morning, I want you to go with me here and, and, and pretend that you and, and me, we're, we're driving a car together. And we got this steering wheel, and we're on the freeway, and, and uh, as we're driving uh, on the freeway, we're noticing that there are critics and cynics and pessimists and nihilists standing on the side shouting all sorts of opinions about the type of car that we're driving or the manner in which we drive. And as we're driving, we've got a decision that everyone in this room must make. And if you don't have to make it now, you will have to make it at some point in your life. Will you allow sidewalk critics to distract the vision and mission of the car that you're in? And sometimes, because we haven't crucified yet the fear of man in our own heart, we are so drawn to the approval and the affirmation of the crowd. Can I tell you, it has never been more important for you to crucify your need to be liked and affirmed by people who don't share your values. And I just really wish people would be a lot nicer and kinder and really supportive. And maybe if I just pull the car off the road and stop my movement altogether, then some way or somehow I could gain their trust or their likability or or their affirmation. And then in doing so, feel really good about the journey that I'm on. And until we live for the attention and the affirmation of one voice, we will sacrifice our destiny for many voices. And you and I, we're we're in this car together, and we're driving on a highway of vision and and of destiny, our eyes on the prize, the author and the finisher of of our faith. I I don't know if you've ever seen a a news station pick up a a story of the president driving in a limo around town, and always he's got people who cheer him on, and he's got a lot of people who don't like him and hold up all sorts of signs saying all sorts of things, but I've never once seen the presidential limo pull over for a president to engage with dialogue with people who are committed to misunderstanding him. And I think sometimes for us, we just need a little courage from the Lord to keep on going. You know, the crowds are some of the most unfaithful people you'll ever meet. They shouted Hosanna when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, only to three days later say, give us Barabbas and crucify this man. The crowds wanted Barabbas, not because they thought he was innocent, but because they hated the truth. And for us, as we begin to break our addiction and our need to be affirmed and liked by everyone around us, it gives us permission to keep on going. Now, you need people in your car who can remind you and operate as kind of your side view mirrors and let you know when to merge and when not to merge. I'm not saying there isn't safety in council. There for sure is. But you ought to pick in this season and be intentional and strategic about the people that you allow in the vehicle that you're driving. And for us, what we recognize is that uh, even as scripture says, it says bad company corrupts moral character. And some of us haven't yet made decisions about the type of company that we keep. And then we, get, we end up getting upset at God that we haven't reached our, our destination. And I want to let you know that as a community, we're living for the affirmation of one. We're living for one statement. Well done, good and faithful. 
That's what we're living for. That's the goal. Well done, good and faithful. And so for you and I, as we're kind of heading in that direction, as we're believing the report of the Lord, as we're confessing what is true, not only about him, but about us, it helps us stay driven in the direction that we would never depart from it. This morning, we're going to read out of the book of Numbers in in chapter 13, and I'm going to share with you a conversation that the Lord has with Moses. Remember, Moses talks with God as a man talks with his friend, which is, by the way, how to make prayer the most natural conversation in your life. I would encourage you to talk to God as you would speak with a friend. It doesn't have to be in King James Version language. It doesn't have to be all flowery because God doesn't care about that stuff anyways. You don't have to pronounce the original Hebrew because you just look goofy. Just have a conversation with God who reveals himself as both father and friend. Remember Jesus speaks to his disciples. He says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Why? Because friends know the master's business. And the reason why... God shares with you the master's business is so that you and I together would be invited into the co-laboring and co-airing with God, which is in Christ Jesus. You've been invited not just to view, not just to observe, but to participate in the building of God's kingdom. There has never been an invitation that's as good as that. And in Numbers 13, God is speaking to Moses and the Bible says this, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And and when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are are strong or or weak, few or many, what what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or, or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It's interesting that God tells Moses, send some men to explore the land, which I am already giving to the Israelites. God never invites you to gaze on something that he hasn't already purposed in his heart to give you. And I think sometimes we think about vision from the Lord like the carrot on the stick. Like somehow God is giving me a picture of what life could look like in order to kind of motivate my behaviors. And the scripture says that the one who promises is just as faithful to perform that promise in your life. That's why David says things like this. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Scripture says that without vision, without the ability to see people cast off constraint or some translations say this people perish and the reason why it's so important that you capture a god-sized vision for your life is because image creates desire and do you know that just today on average as an american who's connected to the internet you will be hit with 10,000 advertisements connected to images just today In fact, sometimes people are advertising things to you and you don't even realize they are. It's subliminal. But just on average, the average American consumer sees 10,000 images connected to products each day with the hope that it plants a seed of desire in your heart and you go out and you purchase that product. But in similar fashion, God gives us a picture of things that are to come. He says, I am giving you the land, but there's still work to do in that 
land. And I think for us, we would love for God to not only give us a vision, but to accomplish all that vision without our participation. But that's just not how it works. God was preparing to give this land to the Israelites, but he still invited them to scope it out, to see it, and to see what type of report they would bring back. God was inviting the Israelites to see things from his perspective, a land that he was already preparing to give to his people. Now watch what scripture says in verse 26. Then they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community. And they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Watch. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. Hear me very carefully this morning. A bad report spread by well-intentioned people without vision will do more damage in a community than Satan could ever dream. Who has believed the report of the Lord? Moses nominates a, a leader from each tribe, 12 tribes, 12 leaders to go and spy out the land. And although Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report, this is it. This is what God has promised us. We can certainly do it. There were 10 others whose message spread like a disease in that community. And in doing so, fear had melted the hearts of the people. And they refused to believe that God is as good as Scripture says He is and can do everything Scripture says He can do. The greatest epidemic that the church faces today is the epidemic of fear. And scripture says God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear, but power, love, and of a sound mind. And this is why the apostle Paul specifically points out that statement to Timothy as he pastors a church in the city of Ephesus. He said, Timothy, whatever you do, don't be given over to the territorial spirit of fear. And just turning on the news on a, on a daily basis is like an exercise in collective trauma. By the time you watch it for five to seven minutes, you walk away and you feel anxious and hopeless and down and depressed and fearful. And for us as believers, it is so important that we check what we see and what we hear because it impacts the spirit that we carry. And I want you to see that there were 10 leaders with a bad report who kept 3 million people people out of their inheritance for 40 years. Don't tell me that words don't have power. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And when you begin to agree with what God confesses, not just about where you're at now, but where you're going, that agreement creates the participation that God is looking for to manifest the miracle in your life. Hey, do you know that the word of God in your mouth is just as powerful as the word of God in his? 
When you come into agreement with what God is saying about your circumstance and your future, what it sets off is a domino effect, a recreative miracle by which what is true above becomes true below. And see, that's why when the disciples asked Jesus to teach us to pray, one of the things that Jesus focuses on is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Watch as it's already being done in heaven. Do you know that God already knows what the next step is for this church? He already knows what the next step is for your family. He already knows what the next resource, the next provision, the next healing, the next miracle. It's already been established in heavenly places. And so what we do as people of faith is we declare things that aren't as if they are. And in doing so, come into agreement with God's opinion about the circumstances of my life. And can I be honest with you? Yeah, there's some giants and there's some fortified cities and there's some real rough days, weeks, or months that you might have to face as an individual. But together, if we could believe that greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world, it gives us the necessary courage to take the land. We need a spirit of courage in the body of Christ. That's what it means to encourage one another. It means to lend out of the abundance of courage that God has placed in your heart and in your life. As we look in Numbers 13, it was fear and timidity and cowardness and anxiety that spread like cancer in a community and caused people to disbelieve the report of the Lord. Friend, the greatest sin facing the American church is not sexual sin. It is not materialism, it's not divorce, it's not addiction, it's unbelief. If you don't believe you're forgiven, you won't act like it. If you don't believe you're accepted, you won't act like it. If you don't believe you're healed, you won't act like it. If you don't believe you're redeemed, you won't act like it. Everything hinges on who you believe God to be and what you believe to be his word over your life. That's why Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, who do men say that I am? And they give a bunch of random answers and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds and Jesus says, That's what I've been looking for. In fact, I will build my church on that revelation because finally you get it. And when you come into agreement with God's word, it does a foundational work in your life that you can build off of. And so for us, we make a decision. We're going to believe the report of the Lord. Matthew 9 and verse 29, scripture says this, let it be done unto you according to your faith or your belief. John 5 and 38, you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe. Hebrews 11 and 6, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. John 3 and 18, he who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already. Friend, hear this this morning. Moses believed, Aaron believed, Joshua believed, Caleb believed, but it wasn't enough because a bad report had already spread in the community. An advancing church isn't the result of a believing pastor. It's the result of a believing people. If this church only rises and falls on the belief of a select few who stand on stage then we are not even tapping into the type of church that God desires us to be. 
When I tell you that this is a participatory church, what I'm saying is we are giving you an opportunity to believe one with the other that together what we will see is exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. And I think maybe one of the primary differences between a dead church and an alive church is that a dead church comes to see the pastor perform. But an alive church says, I have a part to play. I have something to give. I have an area that I can invest. And I'm going to believe right alongside the staff and the pastors that God can do anything. And when you get in this environment, I hope something grips your heart. I really do. I hope when you leave this place on a Sunday morning, you are stirred in your innermost. God can do anything. I'm telling you, friend, what is coming next for this church and this community is nothing short of an awakening like we have never seen before. We are just now opening the first pages of a story that God is going to write about this region. And it's going to be greater and bigger and grander than we could ever imagine, not for our glory, but for his but what it requires is not the belief of me but the belief of us watch one puts a thousand to flight but two puts ten thousand and a threefold cord is not easily broken but what happens if a couple thousand people in a little small city that nobody can pronounce begin to add their faith together that this type of God can do this type of work in this type of city? What happens when God's people believe they have an inheritance like you've never seen? Now watch. Three million people. Three million people. Just between Seattle and Snohomish, up and down the I-5 corridor, is about three million people. As we're reading Numbers 13, I'm struck by this idea. Right now, there are people who are waiting on the other side of our obedience and our faith. Could you maybe understand or believe this morning? That as I come alive to who God has created me to be, not only does it enable me to see my promise, but it enables a nation that I might not even be aware of to receive their promise as well. What if what unlocks the next season of renewal for our nation is a couple believing churches who just dare themselves to think that God can do whatever God desires in his heart to do? What if today it was the faith of just a few houses in the Northwest that said this type of God can do anything and it unlocked an inheritance for three million? Friend, for you and, and, and for me, for you and for me, this is the type of thing that we're, that, that we're going after. It's not just a nice little Sunday morning service. And that's why not everybody can hang in this environment because that's what they're used to. I'm inviting you to be a part of building uh, 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 the kingdom of God in the Northwest, to be a part of an army that is rising up in this region, to come out of just conformity and kind of dry dead religiosity into being fully alive to who God has asked us to be in this hour. It's the invitation of the ages. And for us, as we respond to that type of thing, this type of faith begins to be stirred in our hearts. Let me end here, Numbers 14. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? 
Not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Let me in here, friend. It takes a different spirit to see a different reality. The Bible says of Caleb, he was unlike the other leaders of the other tribes for he had a different spirit. And that's what we're stirring here in this place. Not a common spirit, not a same old, same old spirit, not I'm bored with God spirit, not I'm bored in my faith spirit, but a different type of spirit. A spirit that says we can take another mountain, we can take another city, we can take another land. Even if it's difficult, we can rise to the occasion for more challenges because our God has proved himself faithful. And God is looking for those type of people in this type of hour. And I'm here to tell you today, the pursuit will be that church in this region. Come on, would you stand with me as we close?